Good afternoon and welcome to the council. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and we've got a fantastic show for you today. I can't wait to introduce you to my guest here. She is going to help us to understand yoga. Uh, first off, I want to thank our host here, KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. Uh, we are broadcasting here in Denver, Colorado, all across Denver and the country, the world. Broadcasting to you the best shows, the best programs, the most enlightening programs you can find. You're right here at KUHSDenver.com. Uh, I also want to make a quick a few announcements. <clears throat> I'm going to be, my book, my first book is going to be published here very quickly on BookBaby.com. It's called Meditations with Masters of the Axial Age. It's a self-help book for the soul. Uh, I think in so many ways we are experiencing these moral and spiritual and ethical crises, uh, and we don't understand that uh, our souls are sick. And so this is a self-help book for you to understand and live and sit with six of the great masters from that axial age, from 900 BCE to 200 BCE. You'll be able to sit with Socrates and Lao Tzu, the mystics of the Upanishads, the Buddha, uh, the Greek playwrights and even Ezekiel and all of these great masters were all kind of coming to the same conclusions and it's helped you to understand and have a deeper and more intimate passionate connection with your soul so look for it coming very soon on book baby uh, we're looking for a paperback launch on uh, right around July 10th and it'd also be available on ebook so check it out. It's really, I really love it, and I think it's really beneficial, and I think you're going to find it too. Uh, also, Kelly Fisher, who was on, my, uh, on the program last time, has, uh, has some amazing offers and gifts for the listeners of the council. So if you want, uh, if you tune into last week's show or two weeks ago, Kelly is this amazing human being who's developed this program to help people who are going through anxiety. And his website is www.bestanxietysolution.com. Again, that's www.bestanxietysolution.com. And he's offered uh, the listeners of the council three free, absolutely free, amazing gifts. One is a beginner's meditation to end anxiety. Uh, the second is a PDF of the three most important things to avoid when trying to end anxiety. And number three is a three-part video workshop on how to control, reduce, and end anxiety for good in your life. The three-part videos are a complete workshop, and each video is like 40 to 45 minutes long. And they're explaining in great detail how to end anxiety. And if you listened to our show last week or two weeks ago, Kelly's amazing. He really understands this. And for everybody who tuned in, they got a little bit of an example of the kind and quality and depth of the meditations that he does to help people who are dealing with anxiety to come back to themselves, to come back to that center, to help reduce that mind chatter. It's absolutely amazing. I couldn't recommend it more. So please go to bestanxietysolutions.com. Um, today's show... It's focused on yoga and uh, where it is, what it is, how it came about, and some of the immense benefits from the practice. Now, I came to yoga about uh, 18 years ago. Now, it wasn't something that I had planned. It wasn't something that I had uh, thought about doing. I was coming from a very athletic background. I played football, played football at the Air Force Academy for uh, a few years. So I had that very... You know, I've got to push hard and lift weights and get, you know, have that real intense kind of activity in order to feel any kind of, uh, you know, feel good about myself and my body and who I am. 
And I happened to come across, when I was living in Los Angeles, this yoga studio in, uh, in Hermosa Beach. I was just walking down the road, and I saw this thing about power yoga. You know, what, what is power yoga? And I read it, and I looked at it, and I kind of thought about it. I walked away, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and try that. So I ended up going into the class, and I was looking for something different, too. I was tired of just lifting weights all the time. And it kicked my butt. It exhausted me. I was sweating. I'd never felt as so sore in my entire life. It felt like every part of my body, every muscle, everything was just being used. I woke up so sore the next day, and I thought, my goodness, that's beyond anything that I'd ever thought it would be. And so I ended up saying, you know what, i got to understand it more. And so I came from it from that sense of needing to have that rush, that adrenaline rush or uh, that physical exhaustion. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. The more I came to realize, wow, this is something profound. There's, there's something really deep and, and uh, um, you know, subtle about this work that it's starting to change the way I'm seeing life, the way I'm seeing myself. Everything was starting to transform inside of me. And then I moved up to... Uh, Hollywood, uh, as I was becoming an actor and, and doing the theater work that I was doing out there. And I came to uh, working and practicing for many, many years with uh, a remarkable, amazing, incredible yoga teacher. Her name is Andrea Markham. And she's probably the one who inspired me the most to, to follow and continue with yoga and, and get deeper into the, to the, the, the authenticity of it, the spirituality of it, the groundedness of it. And I continued to practice with her, and I kept finding that I was calmer, that uh, I was getting this sense of clarity about thoughts and feelings and emotions that used to trouble me at times. Um, I was a lot more relaxed. I was a lot more open to life. Uh, I listened to people better. Uh, and then when I experienced the challenges that I had in my life, which life is going to throw us challenges and, dis and uh, disappointments, and when I – that. When those disappointments came in my life, it was yoga that I, that I leaned on. And I ended up going with, uh, with Andrea to Costa Rica for an amazing, incredible retreat that was one of the most transformative experiences I've ever had in my life. And just being out there and doing yoga and feeling the spiritual qualities and, and the sense of being expansive, that I'm, I'm connected to something larger and bigger than just myself. And that it was this journey in yoga that allowed me to start going outside and inside at the same time. The deeper I got inside, the more the outside seemed to make sense to me. The more it seemed to be, I seemed to be connected to it and it seemed to be connected to me. And so I had this profound experience with it. And now I'm a yoga teacher, uh, thanks to my guest here. And um, uh, it is something that I think that people need to understand more about what it is, what it is all about. What is this thing that is, uh, is called yoga, which is really to, to bring control, to, to unite, uh, and to harness control of the mind, the whirlpools of the mind. And what does that mean? And there's no better person to answer some of these questions for us today on the council than my guest right here sitting next to me. Gina Caputo is the yogini on the loose and the creatrix of integrated vinyasa yoga, which is a style of yoga that emphasizes the fusion of physical alignment and flow, anatomy and energetics, focus and release, work and play. She's known as a down-to-earth, accessible teacher who can communicate complex yogic concepts in a way that people can relate to. Her clear and playful style of teaching encourages you to explore possibility, transform old beliefs, and take refuge in the lifelong journey that is yoga. She is the founder and director of the Colorado School of Yoga, where you can learn more uh, about it at coloradoschoolofyoga.com and also about Gina herself at GinaCaputo.com. Welcome, Gina, to the council. Thank you, Charlie. Great to be here. <laughs> it's really, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me today and being here on the council to share with us your journey and your experience and your wisdom 
an understanding of yoga to you know a, a worldwide audience here. Thank so. you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Could you please share with us just a little bit about uh, your background and what led you to the practice of yoga? Sure. Uh, the first time I ever practiced yoga was back in um, like 94 or 95. And I was going to college at UC San Diego. And I was just about to finish up there and was short a couple of credits, a couple of units. Uh, not enough to take a full-on academic course. So some of the shorter courses uh, were uh, physical fitness related. Mm. So I took a class that was called uh, something like weight training or strength training, just just to, to get the, the credits done. And there was a woman in the class who was a bit older than the rest of us. And I share this story with such respect for her because mm. Yoga wasn't really that popular yet, mm -hmm. and she was older than us, and the class was called strength training or something. Right. And as we began the class day one, she asked the teacher if perhaps he would consider letting her start each class with a little bit of yoga. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any say in it, and he said yes. And you got to remember, today that would be no big deal. Then that was kind of a big deal. So we started every class with a little bit of yoga. And what really stood out for me was that was a time in my life where I was working full time, trying to finish college and was feeling a lot of stress and was very under resourced for how to, to deal with all of that stress. So I'll, I'll never forget. We went through some sun salutations and, you know, I was kind of curious and intrigued, but not necessarily super turned on at that point. But the day that we did tree pose, so that's a standing balance pose, mm -hmm. uh, I got a whole new sense of what yoga could do for me. And it's not a pose that's particularly stretchy, and it's not even particularly strength-focused, but it's focus-focused. Mm -hmm. And so I remember standing in that tree pose and experiencing what felt like this momentary void internally. And I mean like a good void, mm -hmm. void of the incessant mental chatter, void of the, the anxiety. It gave me an opportunity to actually witness how stressed I was. It was becoming my baseline. And uh, that's where my, my respect for yoga and my love for yoga began. Mm -hmm. I realized it was a lot more than what I had thought it was. It mm -hmm. wasn't just a stretching routine that there was some power there to affect your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started. And then as yoga got more popular in our culture, the opportunities to practice it became a lot more prevalent. We were seeing studios pop up. Um, and then my husband and I actually started a business, so my stress just grew. And that's when I really started to take refuge in the practice of yoga. I recognized that physically, uh, we were um, a web development company at mm. that time. So I was spending a lot of time, this is kind of before standing desks were a thing, and I was spending many, many, many hours a day you know, coding at my desk. And I remember being in my 20s and experiencing some physical discomfort related to that, as well as the mental discomfort related to all the stress. And I said, I have got to do more yoga. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started a daily practice that then turned into teaching uh, purely by accident. Um, the other teachers were all doing some continuing education. There was no one around to teach. They said, Gina, you're always here. Uh, would you consider teaching this weekend? And I said, sure, you know, I'll put that headset on and I'll, be, I'll just do what you do. So on the one hand, I was grossly underestimating mm -hmm. what it would take to be a teacher, but on the other hand, um, it was a really wonderful, fortuitous opportunity to do, do something by accident, essentially, that I, I found then that I really, really loved. There was something about that exchange where you can share your love for the practice uh, with people who are, you know, in, 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 in so many ways hungry for it, whether it's purely for the physical, the psychological, the en energetic, the emotional, mm -hmm. you know, there was just something beautiful. And just this morning I was reflecting on, I didn't grow up wanting to be a teacher. I actually wanted to be a therapist. I, went, I was a psychology major for a while. Um, 
and now I can't imagine doing anything but be a teacher. <laughs> um, it really is <clears throat> just such a precious, precious opportunity to um, share in what you love and to essentially like kind of pay it forward mm-hmm. from what you've learned and what your teachers have filled your vessel with. And, and you know, you can give that back to those who have the appetite for it. So, yeah, just today, this this show gave me a chance to reflect on like, what else would I do? It's, it's the greatest. <laughs> you know, and I think that's one of the journeys about life is learning to find out what you're passionate about. Sure. And you've sure. got to try all these different things just by accident. Sometimes it's those yeah. little accidents, those little things that you think, well, you know, like me going to the yoga studio. Yeah. Just like showing up, you know, yeah. that was never in my consciousness. Right. It was never in my field. I didn't even think about it. It was yeah. like, guys, don't, you know, at that time, you know, I had that machismo thing. Sure, sure. And it was just that little accident of making that turn and going into the class that changed everything. Yeah, those accidents. That's why I think when you reflect on how how those kinds of things can happen, it's not by plan. You, you didn't decide, I'm going to become a power yogi extraordinaire. You didn't maybe plan that you were going to do a teacher training one day. Um, but as you look back to some of the biggest pivots in your life, they were all like by accident. Mm-hmm. And I think that teaches us to like stay open. Mm-hmm. Don't get too planned. You know, I say that as much for myself as I say it to all the <laughs> listeners. Don't get too planned in your life because, you know, I I like the the, the pinball approach to life. You know, you, you wouldn't want to get stuck just going, you know, sometimes you need to like pew. And, right. and sometimes that was pew. They will open up doors for exactly. you. Exactly. And, and, and a lot of times I found in my life those things happened at pivotal moments when I was about to enter a crisis. Or where I was in a crisis. Sure. And it was in that because I, I needed some kind of grounding and stability yeah. and being centered in myself. Yoga was one of those things that really came into my life. It was absolutely critical. Yeah. That was beyond because, you know, I do life coaching and, and counseling. But the, you, like you, it was, the, it was I needed to feel safe in my body. Sure. A lot of the yoga that is being done to help people with trauma right now is to help them to get feel safe again in their own bodies so yeah. that it's okay to come back here yeah you know, that they're doing it now in, in 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 controlled settings where they will have um people who are doing yoga and then they'll have the control study groups that are doing something like exposure or not exposure but uh, dialectical behavioral therapy which is an ex- a um what is that called a uh, evidence-based therapy yeah. right and they will have them do this for eight weeks and see which group has had any change in the symptoms that they're experiencing. The control group for the um, evidence-based therapy, which was uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, after eight weeks showed no changes. The group that did did yoga showed an immense decrease in all of the symptoms related to trauma, decrease in anxiety, decrease in stress, uh, feeling safe in their bodies again, this stuff is more powerful than you realize. And it actually can do more work and do more benefit to those who are experiencing those kind of traumatic issues that they're dealing with. Yeah. So, uh, Gina, you and I both, we both grew up Catholic. Indeed, well, Pacello and Caputo. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Of course we did. (laughs) We're both Italians, you know, we've come from those strong Italian roots. And... uh, uh, or uh, I don't know. What part of Italy do you know? What part? Oh yeah, we're Southern Italians. Are you we're Southern? from right around Naples. Oh my gosh, my my mom's uh, families—they're all about an hour east of Naples. Very nice. So we're, we're we're we got that Southern Italian yep. thing that yep. we're uh, bringing forward into the yoga world. Um, so we both went to Catholic school and we both studied that. And my faith and spirituality obviously has changed as I've become more embracive, more inclusive of all faiths and all religions. And yoga, obviously, is one of them. It comes down to us. I just love it. It comes down to us from the, the Hindu faith, um, the yogis. And in a moment, we're going to dive into a little bit of the philosophy of yoga, which is really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Uh, and there's much I love about the Catholic faith as well. I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. Just, you, how could you not love some of the <laughs> Jesus and Mary and all of that? How can you not? Uh, and a couple of years ago, I also had a, this incredible opportunity to, to actually meet the Pope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I shook hands with him. 
Uh, it was incredible. But what I find so perplexing is when I shared with other individuals, uh, and they go nameless, it's just my passion for yoga and what it's given me. And, I, and I've been practicing for now for over 18 years. There's, re, there's a resistance. There's this resistance to something new. There's this re- hesitation to try new things. There is a judgment that some individuals actually think that I'm going to go to hell because I'm practicing yoga. Gina, why do you think some people have such resistance to exploring what yoga might be for them? I'm so glad that you asked me that question because I I have some experience with that resistance as well. Um, I was raised Catholic too, but I was also raised in a, a very curious household. And what I mean by that is our curiosity was continually stoked and it was, it was an open-minded uh, household. So maybe not what you might call orthodox Catholic, um, <laughs> but, but, but uh, curiosity was always fostered in us. And I say that because it caught me by surprise mm-hmm. when I first encountered some resistance. Um, the idea of learning something new was never... Um, in any way uh, blocked in our household. So when I when I did uh, experience it for the first time, uh, it was actually when I opened my first studio myself, uh, which was in a suburb of Kansas City, and it was a very Christian community. And it came, it came out of nowhere to me. I was just caught unaware uh, that there would be people, particularly faith leaders in the community, that were saying that if there any any of their congregation were practicing yoga with that woman Gina Caputo, uh, that that you know I was doing the work of Satan, and I real I was ill prepared for that kind of response. So I've thought a lot about it. Um, it frustrated me that they never those those leaders never communicated with me directly, so that we could have actually had some fruitful dialogue, so we could have found what each other was actually doing. So mm-hmm. it troubled me that they were accusing me of doing Satan's work, even though they hadn't experienced my work. Um, my perspective was that yoga was, in fact, clearing the path to God. Mm-hmm. And that's the God of your understanding, whether that be nature, whether that be a deity, whether that be you know, whatever the Godhead is. Uh, I felt like I was simply uh, supporting people's relationship with the God of their understanding, not telling them which God to to pray to. Uh, So it frustrated me that they said that, but I I have thought a lot about it. And as you said, you know, yoga emerged um, not just from the Hindus, but other Dharma faiths like Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, and certainly the Hindus. And that, just that difference, I think that we are both aware enough in the world that difference can be scary for folks. Um, especially when uh, I, I think that for some people, the exotic brown skinned difference is even scarier. So I think that that is part of it, that it is associated with either religions or Dharma practices uh, that people think are in conflict or are pagan, you know, and it's really, I think that there may be not a huge investment in understanding those practices uh, to see whether, in fact, they are pagan or, you know, whatever. So we make decisions based on what it looks like. Um, another thing I've considered is that a lot of the texts, the, the, and here I'm saying like more the ancient texts of yoga, are in Sanskrit. And that is there a liturgical language uh, of those faiths that I just spoke of. So that also lends itself uh, to that feeling of exoticism or conflict, I think, with maybe the faith that you practice, you know, your Bible. Um, Another thing I've thought of uh, is that I feel like yoga emphasizes the work that we need to do in order to find union with God versus putting it all in God's hands. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be like, for example, in yoga, we're taught that God, you are God. God is in you. Not so much that you are God and that you are the one almighty who has power over everyone, 
but in fact that our goal one of our goals is to recognize the the god that's in me mm-hmm. and we even say to each other things like namaste mm-hmm. the divine that is in me recognizes the divine in you mm-hmm. that in fact if you see yourself as a vessel carrying the spirit of god that we would treat each other quite a bit differently yes you know pretty much and that's a so that's a big <laughs> focus in in <clears throat> yoga and i don't think that that is ubiquitous in, in other faiths, uh, that that in fact you are uh, like an agent of God, you are God, mm-hmm. uh, versus th- this this duality of there's you and then there is the Almighty God, mm-hmm. versus non-duality uh, where you are one in the same. We are all one in the same, and I think that um, that's a big difference. So I, I feel like it's possible that that creates some of that resistance. And then the, 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 the last thing I was really thinking about here is I don't know that yoga is portrayed as for everyone, right? Out in the, you know, kind of capitalist marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yoga looks like it's for thin white women. And maybe some fit white guys. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure that it's portrayed as being for everyone. And so while that's not uh, necessarily related to any re- religious resistance, I think that that could be a place of resistance, that it's not for you. There isn't representation. You're not seeing people that look like you doing it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you're not going to necessarily feel enthusiastic about joining in. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, like what that highlights is the work that those of us that are teachers really need to do, um, speak to the history of yoga, the roots of yoga. Um, that includes its religious roots. Give, give people the agency to decide, is this in fact conflicting with your religion? Mm-hmm. My great hope is that people that practice any religion might feel like confident enough in their relationship with their faith to be able to explore something like yoga. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I'm not sure that we teachers are so all powerful that we're brainwashing people into changing their religion. It's a practice that I think with your own strong faith, you can explore and see if it actually does what I said I thought I was doing as a teacher was trying to clear away like all of the mental detritus that gets in the way of my relationship with the God of my understanding. Well, and I think that's such an important thing is by being able to, one of the things that the ancients really were critical about, they didn't care about what your theology was. They cared about how you treated other people. Sure. They cared about how your, your conduct in life, if you can, your conduct in life you know, uh, allowed you, like Jesus, what he talked about, be in the world but not of it, love your neighbor like yourself. That is the same kind of mystical principle. If you see yourself as all sons and daughters of God, you're going to treat each other a lot differently than if you say, well, he's he's different or she's different because they believe or do something different. And that's not what it's, so it's having that, and it does. You become more embracing, become more open-minded just in the actual practice of being available to what's out there, celebrating the diversity uh, of life and where people come from. And that's what I think most of us, you know, want to do in life. We just don't have permission to do it yet. And so hopefully we're giving you permission to do it, to explore it, to open yourselves up to it. Um, What is yoga? So... If we want to go back to what, let's just look at what the word means. I think words have power, and I think there's a lot of people out there that might think that yoga means fitness or stretching. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to say, like, what the word actually means, really honor its its root. It's a Sanskrit word, and the root of the word is yug. Yug means to yoke, uh, to yoke something like you would yoke an ox to a cart, uh, to harness, and and implied in that is this idea of uniting or union. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then that begs the question, okay, yoking what to what? Harnessing what to what? Uniting what and what? And um, classically, it is this idea that you are not um, separate uh, from the God of your understanding, that you you are not separate. You're not separate from each other, Mm -hmm. right? 
Uh, and so yoga is a practice of uh, finding union. It's not even like you don't have it. So it's, it's recognizing more than finding, recognizing that you are in fact yoked, you are yubed, you are united uh, with one another and therefore the divine. Um, for me, it, it, then it begs the third question, which is, okay, uh, what's getting in the way of me just recognizing that? Because it's one thing to intellectually say, oh, you are part of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But then how, wh wh why do we not behave like that then? And so I believe it is our conditioned consciousness. You just spoke about this idea of perceiving each other as different. What's that a part of? That's a part of our conditioned consciousness. Um, we look different. We grew up in different place. We grew up in different faiths. We're um, diff different genders, right? We have different orientations, whatever that is. We see that difference and we resist. And that's part of conditioned consciousness. So in order to transcend the, the perception of difference or separateness, we have to then transcend conditioned consciousness. So what I believe is that when you're doing work that is called yoga, it must be supporting the transcendence of conditioned consciousness. If it's just physical fitness, that's just wonderful physical fitness, right? That And that's great. And be physical, right? Be physical. But, be physical. But at the same time, I think it, there, a big question amongst yogis and yoga teachers right now is like, well, what makes something yoga? And that's why answering this question actually is important to me is if it is supporting your transcendence of conditioned consciousness, then it is yoga. And if it isn't, it just isn't yoga. Mm -hmm. It's something else that's probably also wonderful, but it's not yoga. So what is yoga? There's the definition. And then I think there is yoga in practice. And that is when you're doing work, physical, whether it's physical, meditative, related to breath, whether it's ethical practices, how you show up in the world, mm -hmm. if it is supporting your transcendence of your conditioned consciousness and the perception of separateness, mm -hmm. then it's yoga. Well, and if uh, that transcendence of consciousness, there's so many different layers. I'm going to get into that here in just a second about how you are able to move through those different layers to transcend your own consciousness. And, but it's because, you mentioned something just a moment ago that has become such a major industry uh, out there in the world. I mean, it went from starting off in, was it 1975 when Patabi Joy uh, came from India and introduced it to the Western that was, right, here. that was modern postural yoga. Mm. Yoga came over to the U.S. prior to that, back yeah. in the late 1800s, but that was less physically oriented, yes. <laughs> it was just more seated, right, in those areas? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, uh, once it became out here, it's, it's, it's exploded. Yeah, it and we saw that like in the, the late 90s, yeah. early 2000s really explode. And it's now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Oh, yes, right? yes. So it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And like you said, it's all people see it as in the way they market it, beginning slimmer, more toned, weight right. loss, back pain, and you know, all these things. And so it, it just addresses the physical conditions and the physical activities. But with such an emphasis on the body, are we not bastardizing what yoga truly is? Uh, I'm going to say absolutely yes. And I think that what we've done to yoga is such a textbook example of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. And for any of you that aren't totally familiar with cultural appropriation, what I'm talking about is when we essentially pick and choose from a tradition that which in the case of yoga is going to be the most appealing and that that fits our capitalist culture mm -hmm. and we we essentially infiltrate the tradition take what we want and then bury the rest mm -hmm. and so what we, what you're talking about is that when this modern postural yoga, meaning a yoga that was really emphasizing the physicality, when that started to get popular, the powers that be, I don't know, the, the, the people that really started to push it, uh, 
recognized that we Americans, especially, uh, have uh, a, a, quite a neuroses around our physical presentation. Mm -hmm. Right? The, the the diet and exercise industry was already booming. It, it, it was just a new way of getting fit. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing that I find interesting is like, oh, look, they're neurotic about this. Therefore, there's money to be made. So we're going to take the pieces of this practice that we know are going to be appealing and we're going to shove those down their throats and make billions of dollars doing it. And as a result, we have this hyper physical uh, yoga practice that is um, marketed um, by, by like the, on the aesthetic right so look how slim you are uh look how flexible you are you know basically it was catching us at a time where we were like ready for the next big thing that was going to help us look better and the thing about yoga that i think was also appealing is there was also this vague promise of peace and calm mm -hmm. but no real connection point of like, how does that happen? In the meantime, let's try to do the splits and let's try to do <laughs> handstands and let's try to do these enormous backbends. And um, I think where, where we went astray is that we buried the parts of the tradition that are um, really emphasizing uh, a recognition of what conditioned consciousness is and how the physical practice fits into that transcendence. If you just do the physical practice, many of us just did the physical practice and we're like, hmm, this is cool. And it's great. Maybe then it sticks. But what's sad is that when that continues to be what sells the most, because to say like, hey, look, come and realize some of the crappy thing. Can I say crappy? Sure, you can say crappy. <laughs> when, come and, and, and pay attention to the way your mind works and notice some of the crappy things about your mind. That's hard sell, you know? <laughs> I, I always joke, like, wouldn't it be more truthful if we said, come, let's get together for 90 minutes and suffer just the right amount to learn something about your mind and your consciousness. That's a, that's a harder sell than look how gorgeous and flexible you can be. Right. Right? So what we've done is we've we've hyperemphasized the physical aspects buried or seriously underemphasized the psychological the consciousness related aspects of it and i think where it gets really really sad for me is that even in india you see the impact of this mm. so the he, there there are people from those traditional lineages who are having to, in order to survive, succumb to this like colonial capitalist interpretation of what yoga is. So you go to a city like Rishikesh, right? And there are teachers that may come from these traditional lineages, but they, now you can, like every 10 steps, I could be exaggerating slightly, but every 10 steps, there's another 200 hour training that is posture oriented. I'm not saying there aren't any good ones there that are more full-bodied, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm saying that you see the emphasis even in the country of origin mm -hmm. on the physical because we've made it into this monster industry that is, um, uh, as you pointed out, limited mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the full power of yoga. So I, I find it sad. I get it. I'm also not dumb. Like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I get, I know what sells and that what I propose, let's come, let's suffer just the right amount together, uh, <laughs> isn't appealing to, to <laughs> millions of people, maybe a few, <laughs> but millions of people aren't going to be interested mm -hmm. in that. I just say, like, great. Right, we've got all these millions and millions of people practicing yoga now. I say, teachers, let's be ready to take them to the next step, mm -hmm. right? When you get to the point that you feel like there's something missing, let's take it. Like, I want the teachers to be prepared to yeah. take people to the next step. Well, and that's such an important thing. If you got to be, because the body is a vehicle to get us into those deeper layers, to that, the deeper understanding. I came from that standpoint that right. you were just describing. This is going to make me fit. I just got exhausted physically. And it wasn't until I consistently undid it and then yeah. began to dive deeper. And it was my teachers, Andrea, who, Andrea, yep. who was helping me to get into those deeper layers and understandings. And that's when it opened up to me in ways yeah. that I had no idea. And now I cherish. And now as a teacher now as well, being able to translate some of these ideas to people 
to help them to get it. And one of the, uh, I guess, sages, and I would consider him like the St. Francis of yoga, which is Pantanjali. He uh, it was you know one of, he wrote one of the most sacred texts one of the most beautiful texts ever written in any kind of sacred literature uh, about what being a yogi was all about and the process of getting into our, our, our breaking down our conditioned consciousness and he lived around two hundred uh, of the common era and his name actually means hands folded in prayer isn't that beautiful. <laughs> Hands folded in prayer. And, uh, and his book has about 196 aphorisms that are broken down into four books. And I've listened to all of these. They, uh, they are amazing. Uh, you, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, there's a, there's a moral. Uh, it, it's, all of this is understanding of about how to get into right alignment with yourself. Mm-hmm. To uh, treat others the way you want to be treated, to uh, non-stealing, all these things of not being greedy, of uh, being in integrity with yourself, yep. brahmacharya, and keeping yourself in alignment in, in your sexuality, um, being truthful at all times, shunning evil. It's beautiful. And in his book, he describes what the causes of suffering are. And I think, just to give you a taste, just a taste of what yoga can offer you and and the beauty of it um he describes what these causes of suffering are and they're known as the kleshas <laughs> i can see gina's already <laughs> smiling right now as we're talking gina could you could you share what sure. are what are the kleshas sure i'm smiling because um like many people suffering from conditioned consciousness mm-hmm. i thought the causes of my suffering were other people and situations (laughs) and like the weather right so i figured oh it was my parents it was my boss it was this crappy day you know that those things in fact if you think about language we in conditioned consciousness use language like you make me so mad or you make me so sad or you make me whatever that's actually impossible that no one can make you anything Um, But what that indicates to me is how outward-looking we are for the cause of our suffering. So I smile because when I first learned that, oh, in fact, the causes of your suffering are all inside you, I thought, well, there goes all the fun of blaming (laughs) everything else. So much easier to blame. It's so much easier, and it's satisfying to your ego to be able to blame all these awful things and awful people. So anyway, the kleshas. The kleshas are the five root causes of our suffering. And to all of your listeners, I'll just say this. I'm sorry, because once you learn these things, then you become aware every time you're then suffering, you can name it. You can identify which one of them it is. So the first one is avidya, and that is ignorance. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. This is not that you're a dumb person or you got a poor score on your SAT or something like that. This is an ignorance uh, of truth, right? Meaning this is the, the state of conditioned consciousness that we live in where we believe that we are separate from each other, that we are separate from God, right? That's going to cause your suffering. As such, it's considered the root klesha or the, like the taproot of all suffering. Every single one of the other ones is an example of this ignorance, is a manifestation of this ignorance. The second one is asmita, and this is, in English, we would call this egoism. Mm -hmm. And really, the way I like to describe it is it is a misidentification of who you are with your ego. So, for example, you know, we na- we said our names, we said we're our backgrounds, we said our jobs, right? We talk about all of those things, and we identify with those things, and we believe that that is the sum total of who we are. So, I am Gina, I am married to Jeff, I do this, I do that. And if any of those things are ever impacted, I suffer. And it's because I believe those to be me, the sum total of me, when in fact who I really am is like untouchable, right? Who I really am. And that's kind of like this, just watch, right? 
one of those things goes away, let's say you lose the job that you identify with or the partner that you identify with or a, a million other things, or now I can't teach yoga or whatever it is, and watch, you'll suffer because you've identified with that. The next two are my favorites, if you could have favorite causes of suffering. <laughs> I have the two favorite causes my of suffering. My two favorite causes two of suffering. Causes now, I say they're my favorites because, boy, they come up, like, all day long. I say these are two sides of the same coin that we're just flipping all day. And they are raga and dvesha, or attachment and aversion. And you know this. Attachment. You want things to be a certain way. The, uh, the, the most common way this comes up is with the weather. You want it to be sunny and beautiful. Unless you live in San Diego, it's not always going to be that way, right? That's right. You want it to be sunny and beautiful, right? And then it's not, and you were attached to it, and you suffer. In other words, you are averse to the fact that that's not going to be that way. Uh, I, I face it in restaurants all the time, right? Oh, I can't wait to have this, such and such. I'm going to go, and I'm going to have these. And then I get there, and they say, oh, and by the way, we're out of that thing that you were totally <laughs> attached to getting. And then you suffer and you're grouchy or whatever, right? And th these are these are little, what you might say, trivial ways of identifying attachment and aversion, but there are big, big ways that we are attached. I'm attached to, let's say, uh, people wanting to do yoga for the reasons that I teach yoga. I am averse to people who want to do yoga for other reasons, right? right. I, I'm just being honest, right? That's the attachment and aversion right. I work with every day. Right. And I have to go, ah, look, I am causing my own suffering. Yeah. Um, I wish people were more environmentally conscious. I am attached to that. I am averse to uh, the ways that we abuse the environment, right? Yeah. And so I cause my own suffering. I'd like to say it was them. Like, of course, right? it's easier. It's I, you did this to me. You're, you're terrible. One, you're, you're a terrible, terrible person. human being, right. person, thing, whatever. And in fact, mm. I'm causing my own suffering. Yeah. So it's a tough one. And, and it's a tough one and all day long. And so what I, what I try to practice is I observe, I am aware of what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling. And then I can usually I name it. I'll be like, oh, well, that's attachment. Oh, that's aversion. Oh, that was identifying with my ego, right? Mm -hmm. And then the beautiful thing, though, and the reason I can laugh about it is because in naming it, you immediately, even if it's just a tiny bit, you immediately decrease your suffering because you're recognizing that you have some power in that situation, that you can continue to feed it. And you know what? Sometimes we do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're just pissed and it feels good being pissed and you're just going to keep getting pissed, right? <laughs> but that's different from the old days where you would just do that automatically. Now at least you're doing it by choice. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's right. Exactly. At least you're doing yeah, it by I choice. I know I'm doing this to myself. Yes, I'm gonna and I'm going to keep doing it. Doing it. I'm proud of it. You know? But the chances are when you realize you're doing it to yourself, <clears throat> you, you choose not to. Yeah. Sometimes you still do, but... Uh, sometimes you, you, now you choose not to. Uh, and that's a nice feeling, that you have some agency there. Uh, the last one is very interesting. It's called Abhinivesha, and it's translated sometimes as fear of death. I like to think of it as uh, clinging to life. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that I believe that really shows up is that we don't acknowledge our own impermanence. In other words, we think that we're just going to keep on living and living, and it seems morose or dark to focus on your own death. But I would put out there, but when you do acknowledge that you are impermanent, that you will die in the form that you're in right now, can you consider how you might live life differently? If you thought about it that way, if you didn't think of it as being this morose thing, if you thought, hey, this could be my last day. And I mean really feel that, not just kind of, this could be my last day. I mean in every decision. Um, you know how where I think of it a lot is driving mm -hmm. in yeah. Boulder. Driving in Boulder, Colorado <laughs> flares up your aversion faster than lots of things. <laughs> and I think about, like, and if I die while I'm doing this drive, do I really want to have spent time 
doing this. You know, it's like they interview people that are on their deathbed. Mm -hmm. And very often they will say things like, Oh my gosh, yeah. Why, you know, I wish I hadn't worked yeah. as much as I did for one thing. I wish I'd gone to the dentist more. No, uh, but, <laughs> but I, I, wish, <laughs> I wish that I hadn't spent so much time um, worrying about X, Y, Z. And I, I hate the idea of realizing that on your deathbed when we have the ability to realize it right now. And that, in, that means acknowledging that you'll die. Well, and, and it's those things that you were just pointing out there. It's those regrets in life. All, all people who come up towards the end of their life, uh, if you, when they do the interviews on, for, with them, it's the regrets of the things that they didn't do. Of course. The risks that they didn't take. Yeah. The relationships that they didn't heal. Uh, right. the, the chances and opportunities. That it, it's all of those things. Right. And when you can live, like you're talking about, this, uh, this aversion to death, yeah. not being able to come to grips that we live a mortal life. It is so liberating. The more you can start to break down, and it's a lifelong process. I don't yeah. know if there's ever a point where you actually let go of the clinging to life. There may be. Maybe that's part of enlightenment. Um, but you, you, you become more available and present in the present moment for all that is around you. You embrace all that is unconditionally. You embrace, the, you, you're not judging, questioning, uh, condemning, blaming, accusing. You're just totally present in what is, and that's kind of a, uh, what I call like a, a soul mysticism, you know? You're, you're really grounded in that sense of soul being. And when you can get there, and I think understanding these clashes and moving through it can really help people to get to that place where you are living life fully, fearlessly, and unconditionally in the present moment. Yeah, I agree, and I think that being able to name these causes of suffering, be aware of your suffering, it also, the word that comes up as you were just talking is <clears throat> you're less likely to squander mm -hmm. your life force when you know that you're doing it to yourself, right? You're less, you're going to, you're going to recognize like, oh, why would I squander my energy, my, my vital energy, my life force uh, on this when I know it's impermanent mm -hmm. and that the squander is the word that always comes up. Once I knew the clichés, I didn't want to squander. Yeah. And uh, when you learn that, you don't want to squander your life. You become, and yoga offers this, gives you the opportunity to be able, and it's a practice. And Gina has created, she's the founder of the Colorado School of Yoga and created a style of yoga, uh, integrated vinyasa. Mm -hmm which is rooted in intelligent, natural, evolutionary patterns and emphasizes the subtle inner work we access via our physical bodies and movement. Uh, Gina, could you explain what is integrated vinyasa as compared to other vinyasa or yoga styles? Sure. Um, thanks for asking. So integrated vinyasa is really what I would call a synthesis because it's not like I just woke up one day and it occurred to me. It's a synthesis of the things that I have learned from my teachers, mm -hmm. uh, what I've learned from my students, in other words, at teaching, like as a teacher, uh, from being what I like to call like a, a disciple of nature, you know, so like really understanding nature. Um, and then just my own self-study. Integrated vinyasa uh, really just follows the patterns of nature. Um, and what I mean by that is that we always, uh, the arc of every class or every experience always goes from simple to complex where we have this gradual evolution or like a, think of the class as an evolutionary journey and you're never doing it in a way that nature wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, so like a, 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 an example that I often give is like in nature, you don't just walk up and there's like a, 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 a I don't know, I always think of like a redwood tree that is, you know, like 500 feet in circumference. That doesn't like just pop up <laughs> one day, right? It starts as like, you know, a little seed, right? An acorn, or right? It starts, it starts as a little seed in a pine cone, right? It starts as a little seed and then it grows gradually. And since we are part of nature, I think that everything should go gradually. Um, but then going back to this conversation about Abhini Vesha and, and this awareness of your impermanence and your mortality, um, 
we also I, I also sync the experiences or the classes um, to this um, pattern of everything is born it starts in a simple form mm -hmm. it moves towards an experiential peak and, and that goes for us too in our lives and then gradually moves towards its natural and unavoidable end mm -hmm. so the classes just like that happens in nature everything is susceptible to that pattern right everything has a beginning it has its peak and it has an end mm -hmm. Uh, and so every class it very clearly follows that same pattern and we feel this ascension towards a peak but that ascension is not too fast not too slow just like in nature right and i'm always seeking balance which is important in nature too we may have our preferences let's say for sunny days um too many sunny days and you start to see what happens you know and we see this in in places like i don't know maybe the sahara or like where you get droughts and you know yeah. you you see um what happens when there's an excess uh, of one thing when there's a lack of balance so i'm i take all of my cues uh from nature now you had the question how does this differ from other vinyasa well, I feel very grateful in that I was around with at the at practicing yoga mm -hmm. at the emergence of this form or this style that we call vinyasa. And I will say that where it began really was um, more, not in the same words as I just used, but it was more in alignment with what I just described. Mm -hmm. But once again, because of kind of the, the capitalist aspect of this practice, um, it has become, it's, it's one of the, if not the most popular form of modern postural yoga, but it also um, started to change to suit the selling points, mm -hmm. right? So it's become um, more fast paced. I hear this from people all the time. It's become more fast paced, more fitness oriented, more sweat oriented. I'm not villainizing or demonizing those things in any way, but it does beg the question, is this still in alignment with that natural evolutionary pattern, beginning, peak, end? You know, is there balance or has it become kind of a fitness free-for-all, this nonstop motion um, where balance would imply there's motion and there's stillness, right? And so when you very kindly read uh, the description of integrated vinyasa, it's always about balance. So we balance things like stillness and dynamism. We balance things like methods of teaching, alignment focused and flow oriented. Um, always looking for the polarities, right? Opposites and finding union between them. So I would say, I'm not saying that all vinyasa classes are the opposite of what I described integrated vinyasa is. But I, I think that commonly, uh, these are some of the ways that integrated vinyasa differs. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a come in nonstop motion, sweat being the main emphasis. Mm -hmm. It's actually recognizing um, that natural evolutionary journey and that you are in fact a part of nature. So why not practice like that? Well, and that's one of the things that I love, absolutely love during the training that we had last year. Uh, I just want to do a quick shout out to all of the teachers, Tracy Garcia and Julia Clark, amazing, yeah. incredible, inspiring teachers who uh, led us last year in our training, teacher training. And it was by far one of the best experiences I've ever had in any kind of teacher training. And uh, I mean, you guys were just uh, it's so inspirational. This whole idea of this evolutionary process of being linked up to nature, of linking these parts in ourselves of the opposites when our, in ourselves. Right, right. You know, hata, which translates to sun, moon. So you're that solar energy, that lunar energy, that masculine energy, that feminine, and integrating it within ourselves first so that we're coming into a place of being unconditional in life, right. being fully present in life. And it was during those courses that you made such an important part. And I th before we, I mean, I can't believe we're almost to the end here. I can. We're talking. <laughs> we're talking. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I want to get, you do make a really important about understanding the biomechanics of the body. Yeah. That it is the, the anatomical movements in each pose and that you want to link those, those biomechanics together. Um, is that why why we do that is there problems that people have down the roads if they're not aware of these things is this something new 
that's being introduced into uh, into yoga that they didn't know before? Um, new, not so much. I think there have always been teachers that are more anatomically focused, but I will say that we're starting to see more emphasis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the just hearing the word biomechanics in the context of yoga is new. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that nobody was ever focusing on it. Um, there, what we've seen over the years in modern postural yoga is that there are certain lineages that are very alignment focused. I'm going to be so bold as to ask the question, though, uh, yet was this um, alignment based on an aesthetic or alignment based on, let's say, functional movement, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you, you said, do, do things show up down the road? One thing that I'm noticing is now that we're 25 years or so of very popular yoga, right? We've got people that have been teaching, let's say, for that long that are having hip replacements. And I would say they're too young, in quotes, too young to be having hip replacements. And it's really uh, showing up from wear and tear uh, from a daily postural yoga practice that I believe has overemphasized flexibility over functional mobility. And the, the the, the, the flexibility has always been kind of that sexy selling point mm -hmm. um, versus something that looks a little less sexy, which is functional mobility, meaning, oh, you don't have that extreme range of motion. Like we've been emphasizing end range. And guess what? Passive end range causes wear and tear. Mm -hmm. Now, so does functional mobility. Um, but I, I think, again, you know, we have muscles that support joints. Let's use them <laughs> right. instead of, let's say, relying on purely your ligaments to support joints. So I think that we've we've we're at we have an opportunity right now to recognize what I would consider to be the error of our ways, which is let's look at what we're emphasizing. We've been emphasizing flexibility over functional mobility. We've been emphasizing stretch over something that's a little more balanced, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Stretch plus strength. Yeah. Um, so we have an opportunity right now to teach people more about this beautiful vessel that is your body. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, I don't think that we should purely focus on it because that's like, you know, what P wonderful PTs are doing, right. Right? right? As yoga teachers, I think we can augment our knowledge of that, but not lose sight of the consciousness piece. Mm -hmm. I think In fact, use your body to enhance the consciousness Exactly. Piece. Use your body to enhance that consciousness and allow yourself to feel free, strong, and flexible. Yes, indeed. And again, it's that balance thing. Balance. Uh, real quick, we are uh, coming to the end of the show. I uh, just want to make a quick shout-out to KUHSDenver.com. That's KUHSDenver.com. Thank you so much for hosting the council here. We've got a lot of great shows lined up for you coming up in the next few weeks. You won't want to miss them. Got some amazing guests that were coming on. And we are broadcasting live here from Denver, Colorado, all across the nation and all across the world. We're being listened to uh, by the, uh, for the council by over 40 different countries from all around the globe. So thank you for tuning in today to listening to Gina Caputo and talking about uh, yoga and understanding it. Um, Gina, really quick, if you could, um, what are some of the advantages of doing integrative vinyasa? Also, how can people reach you? Um, what other events do you have coming up? And then I have one last little question. I ask everybody, all my guests okay. this question. Okay. This is real quickly. I know uh, I'm trying to fit in. Fit in a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, no, no. It's great. It's, it's great. We love to talk. We do. Um, We're tired. Yeah. What can we do? <laughs> uh, so benefits of integrated vinyasa, I, it's the balance piece. Uh, mm -hmm. That's my quick answer is there's what you're striving for and then there's let's say it's opposite you know and I think there's benefit to both so the so balance is what we, we really have to offer uh, let's see how to get in touch with me probably the best way is my website which is ginacaputo.com and I'm going to be launching an all new website in the first week of June that I'm extremely excited for so maybe you'll check it out then but I keep there my whole schedule I'm going to be teaching at a lot of festivals this summer so there's opportunities to get together. GinaCaputo.com. I've got an email newsletter, mm -hmm. lots of cool things on there uh, as well. Um, teacher training. Uh, I've got the next one coming up is in Fort Collins. That starts in September. That's getting close to full. So if this is, um, you know, stoking your desire to, to teach yoga, mm -hmm. 
Uh, my website will have information on that too, and there's links to the Colorado School of Yoga. Very easy. Uh, what was, uh, was I think that, that, oh, that yeah, was yeah, it. Yeah. I think I did it. <laughs> 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 it was like condense it, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, um, uh, she's on, you're also going to be teaching at the Hanuman Festival, right? Yes, That's in Boulder. Yep. Yeah, in Boulder as well. Yeah. So you're going to have an opportunity if you want to go to the Hanuman Festival. Yeah. Uh, what are the dates on that? So That's a, the June 13th weekend. June 13th ten, weekend. Ten, yeah. 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 And Second weekend of June. <laughs> <laughs> One of those weekends. Uh, you'll get an opportunity to work. And Jean is amazing. Thank I you. I mean, she's Thanks, brilliant. Charlie. She's incredible. Thank you. If you have an opportunity not only to practice with her or to, you know, learn from her, to be, if you want to become a teacher, she is exceptional. Thank you. And all the teachers at Colorado School of Yoga, Julia Clark, Tracy Garcia, you couldn't ask for better teachers. That's right. If you want to be a teacher. Um, I always ask this question before we close out the show, Gina, to all of my guests. Yes. It's kind of like a signature thing. If you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? And be succinct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you mentioned at the top of this show that I'm the, called the yogini on the loose. Mm. And... Um, on the loose implies that you've broken free. And so my bit of advice that comes from my life and how I got that moniker was making a conscious effort to break free of what I call the should prison, right? We imprison ourselves with a lot of should do this, you should do that, you should be this, you should, should, should. And I think ultimately that's deeply limiting and we miss the opportunity to really learn from each other, to receive each other's gifts when we stay in the should prison. So uh, my, my best bit of advice would be to like tap into that little bit of a uh, inner rebel <laughs> and, uh, break and break free, free of the should prison, of the should prison and get, get on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gina. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Uh, thank you, folks, for tuning in today to the council. It has been an honor and a privilege, an honor and a privilege to be your host and trying to give you the best uh, programs, the best people from uh, all over the country, trying to make a difference in this world, to bring enlightenment to the world, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring some uh, peace to all of you. Uh, we will be back next week with another great guest. In a couple weeks, we're also going to be talking about how to have deeply spiritual, romantic marriages and relationships, how to make that last a lifetime. We also have Lisa Thomas that's going to be coming on. She's an epigenetics energy healer. That's, she's, gonna, she's, she's amazing. So you've got to come tune in to the council. We're done for today. All right, folks. <laughs> Thank you so much. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. Council is adjourned. We'll be back next week. Thank you. And God bless. <laughs>